everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of the Rainbow Connection. No, we're not talking about a drug PSA, although I promise eventually we will get around to cartoon alt-stars. No, we are talking about something far more exciting. Yes, because we went to New York. Yes. You know what they have in New York? The Museum of the Moving Image. Not exactly on the top list of uh, most of the New York attractions, but man, is it cool. And you know what they have at the Museum of the Moving Image right now? The Jim Henson exhibit. What? Yeah, they had a straight up entirely dedicated to Jim Henson exhibit at the museum while we were there. This included works all the way from the Salmon Friends period straight through to his later, uh, the Jim Henson Hour stuff. They had puppets and they had noted uh, script pages and storyboards and they had concept work. They had his plans for a nightclub that he never got to make, which is wild. Basically anything you could hope for, there was some version of that there. And it didn't just stop after Jim's death. There was an entire section devoted to the new Dark Crystal series, which I promise we will record an episode on soon we loved that show head to toe but we went to new york and that took up some time and we will talk about it after we talk about this really cool exhibition we saw we are using as instead of notes because we were too busy actually enjoying ourselves to take notes just the photos we took while we were at the exhibit nathan what do you want to talk about first i mean i kind of want to talk about just all of the very cool early comic book sketch stuff that they had there from Jim Henson's school days. Yeah, they had which a was lot. really neat. They had a lot of very interesting pre-puppet Jim Henson work. They had stuff that he did while he was in high school and during college when he was more of a cartoonist and visual artist than a puppeteer. And it was really cool to see his work and like his actual work a lot of the stuff at the exhibit was donated by the henson family so it was just straight up his stuff weird things like this muppet type thing i made out of an embroidery hoop when i was six or like we have some his copy of uh, alice in wonderland was there but yeah the actual cartooning was way more interesting than hoops <laughs> yeah they had a couple things like completed cartoons that he'd drawn and written including uh, Pierre the French Rat, which is just the comedic adventures of a rat named Pierre who lives in Paris. Just like being uh, a French rat beset by ennui. It was very funny. I mean, he makes his way to New York. That's the exciting. Oh, yeah, yeah, he does. That was really fun. There was a couple just single frame comics. Obviously, Jim Henson always had a comedic knack, and it really shows through his very early work. He was just as good a cartoonist as he was a puppeteer, honestly. If he pursued that, it would have been just as like interesting. They also had scans of one of his sketchbooks, which apparently he kept basically a visual diary in sketches from places that he'd go and things that he would see and his visual art is just genuinely really impressive he's got a real eye for things like perspective which are mm -hmm. hard to have an eye for they had some really cool stuff in there like just a drawing of the wilkins coffee like i knew factory. that was the thing you were gonna bring up they had a surprising amount of Wilkins Coffee stuff, which we are big yeah. fans of the Wilkins Coffee ads in this household, which is a crazy thing to say, but they're just really funny. They had script pages and storyboards from Wilkins Coffee ads. Why did they keep those? I don't know, but they're very cool. I'm glad that they did. 
But they're great. We also saw Wilkins Coffee ads in color, which I don't think I'd ever seen any of them in color before. Yeah, that was neat. There was a few ones in the exhibition that I just straight up hadn't seen before. Although that wasn't the case for the Salmon Friends things. Everything we talked about on the Salmon Friends episode, that's all they had. They didn't have anything extra, which makes me think there really isn't very much of it left. They did have one of the original puppets from Salmon Friends. The worst one! Yorick, the purple skull that can eat things. Yep, they sure did have Yorick there. I turned a corner and he was there, staring at me. It was very upsetting. I have pictures. It's upsetting. (laughs) The exhibit was also very nicely interactive. Clearly a lot of it was aimed with kids in mind, but we're both children in adult bodies, so that was fun for us. They had a bit where you could, they had puppets on a rack where you could perform with them in front of a camera and it recorded it and you could watch it back, which was very cool. They had a section where they had one of the Be Anything Muppets, which is a specific type of puppet that they created, I think, for Sesame Street. I mean, it's just for anything that needs extras, but I do think it was created originally for Sesame Street. Where you just have a bunch of felt parts that you can stick on a blank puppet body, and they had one of those out for people to make their own puppet, which was super fun. Yes, that's how the character of Prairie Dawn in Sesame Street originated, as a be-anything puppet that just got used enough that it became its own character, essentially. That happens a lot. The one that we were building was based on the uh, fat blue be-anything puppet. Uh, who is that, like, stout little blue guy with different facial features you see around in Muppet stuff. That was a really good good time. Really, being at this exhibition just made me want to build a Muppet. Oh, yeah. We're going to build a Muppet. It's going to be a disaster, but we're going to attempt to build a Muppet. One of the most exciting things is they had a number of the original puppets from a bunch of different things. They had not the original Kermit, but the Kermit that was used in... The, the Muppet 1979 movie. Muppet movie. So a pretty important there, Kermit. Along with Jim Henson's headband, which if you've ever seen behind the scenes pictures from the Muppet movie, he wears this beaded hippie headband that he has his microphone attached to. They had that exact headband in a display with Kermit. Also exciting. Amazing. In OG Muppets, they had the uh, Muppets Take Manhattan Miss Piggy in her wedding dress, which was adorable. And also, since we're getting married soon, very emotional. Mm-hmm. Uh, but probably. Oh, also, there was like a huge case full of various like miscellaneous puppets. There was uh, one of the porcupines from Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. They had tons of fraggles. They had uh, one of the early Rolf puppets. Yeah. Which was very, very cool. They had Zoot. Zoot was there. Zoot was there they had with Janice's his saxophone. Hair. And they yeah. also had Statler and Waldorf. Statler and uh, Waldorf. Slightly later Statler right. and Waldorf, which was really cool. Which it turns out Statler and Waldorf, their design didn't really change at all from concept to execution because they also had sketches of Statler and Waldorf from before they were introduced to the show. And they look exactly the same. Yeah. They, they have alcohol. That was removed. Yeah. They just, they got it in one. Yeah, got it in one. No, no question there. Uh, but I mean, I think we're in agreement here. The coolest puppets they had were things from the original 82 Dark Crystal series. Absolutely. So that was only, well, they had a full podling woman. And she was in the case with a bunch of the other miscellaneous ones. But much more interestingly, they had the Ritual Master Skeksis. Mm-hmm. Like, the full Skeksy was there. Like, he was The there. full original puppet from 1982. Head to toe. Preserved. It looked amazing. It's uh, terrifying. But, like, you can stand in front of a case and look eye to eye with the Ritual Master. 
and it looks like it's gonna start like talking to you. It's an insane experience. And just getting amazing. to see all of the craftsmanship in those things. And to understand just how much effort the puppeteers were putting in, because you can see the thing and you can tell in person the weight it has. Also in the Dark Crystal section, they had uh, some mystic hands and different versions of the insides of Kira and Jen's heads. So mm-hmm. one of them was an animatronic head for long distance shots, and one of them was a straight up puppet head, but they didn't have their skin on, so they were very scary. Yeah, just like plastic skeletons with eyes. But really cool. They also had the actual uh, mechanism for long distance puppet shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, the... They, they had a radio-controlled glove, basically, that can open and close the mouth like a normal puppet, but from a distance for multiple different things, long-distance mm-hmm. things, things that were too small or too big. Yeah, it was used extensively in Fraggle Rock for the dozers, because they're so very tiny. So they very tiny. They couldn't fit an entire human hand in there, so they used this radio-controlled, basically just like a mitten Yeah. <laughs> that moves the, the It head. looks like the inside of a Muppet head. Yeah. I don't know what I thought the radio control rigs looked like, but I didn't realize that's what they looked like. It's quite funny, honestly. Uh, and that technology doesn't seem to have changed much since they developed it in the 70s. Oh, what else did we see that was really, really cool? We, we should talk about that nightclub. We should talk about that nightclub, because that was really cool. And you brought it up. We saw some of the original Sesame Street characters. Uh, they had an early Elmo. They had a Big Bird. Oh, they had Swedish Chef. Yeah, which was really neat. Uh, And Um, his very scary human hands, because they had to put hands on him because he doesn't have hands in the actual puppet, so they made very realistic, like, casts of human hands. Uh, Oh, they had the original costumes from Labyrinth? Yes, we saw the tight pants that were around David Bowie's actual balls. (laughs) Look, that's the only thing I can think of when I think of it. They had a lot of really interesting sketch work and concept art for Labyrinth and Dark Crystal as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And some stuff for Sesame Street that was really cool. A lot of the early work was on display. Uh, One of my favorites being a sketch called Java, which is just two vacuum cleaner tubes doing a silly dance. I like those kind of things. But moving past the stuff that was of the Jim Henson era, they also had an entire section for the new Dark Crystal series, mm-hmm. which was really exciting. They had two of the Skeksis there. They had uh, the General and Skakamal, which is super exciting. Yes, the Hunter. The Hunter. Uh, so those were really cool, and it was really interesting to be able to compare and contrast the new ones with the old ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also had the full puppets for Celadon and the Almadra, which was really cool. So none of the main cast, but still very important characters nonetheless. Really loved seeing that stuff. It was really exciting as we'd finished the show and talked about it on another podcast. And now we're just, like, seeing the actual craftsmanship in person. They had a bunch of molds mm-hmm. for the character designs and a bunch of, like, models for, like, the spitters and stuff. It was really, yeah, really cool. they had busts for a bunch of the Gelfling characters, which mm-hmm. were really cool to see. And we'll make handy references. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they had uh, a Co- mold of the collector's face. The, the mold of Aquafina Skeksis. Yeah. <laughs> just anyway. really neat stuff to see. It was... A fantastic experience, and they had it curated really well to tell the story of Jim Henson's growth as an artist and all of the different things that he ended up creating or having a hand in and 
the Dark Crystal stuff for the new series was actually separate from it, which was kind of nice. It was like, here is this isolated part of when he was alive, and here is like this legacy that is continuing onward. Oh, also a neat thing, uh, they had set design miniatures. Yes. For a couple. <laughs> they had a model of the church stage from Muppets Take Manhattan, the final scene where they do the wedding, uh, that has like it's it's a front on looking at the back of the of the church and then it's like segmented so you can see where the stage level would be and then underneath where the humans operating the puppets would be standing Mm -hmm. and where the lights were so it's just like a room and then like cut away and just like the torso and feet of humans sticking up which was very funny also all of the like miniature versions of the characters on the set were like paper cutouts or toys that they clearly got from like some miniature set like at a i don't know toy store in new york or whatever mm-hmm. like they weren't handcrafted models of the characters it was just like well here's some kermit toys we have lying around <laughs> and the other one was the also from up at stake manhattan uh, was the locker scene where they're all living in the lockers in the subway station because they can't afford to stay anywhere in the city and it's uh same thing the back was opened up and they had like models of humans reaching into all of the different lockers and then on the front you can see where all the puppets would be placed it's interesting because there is this need unlike in other live action films to show how the things are going to operate in your set designs because the characters can't stand on their own quite literally Back to the Salmon Friends, they had a a like list of all the, the records that were used for the lip-syncing sequences in the show, which was really neat. Some of those numbers have been lost, which is but amazing. there's at least a, a written list of all the stuff they used, which is cool. Yeah, I think one of the things that was most heartening overall was seeing how well cared for all of this stuff was and how much of it there was to like be given to an exhibit like this that... The Henson family has taken such extreme care to make sure that what there is is preserved for future generations to see and to talk about. And I just really appreciated that I could see all of that in person. If you're in New York, go see it while it's still there. It's moving out soon. Yeah, it's just such a joyful experience to walk through this exhibit and see all of the puppets. And all of the work that went into creating these immensely joyful sketches and shows and everything. It does really make me wish that I still had that animal puppet I played with as a child. Have I ever told you about this? I don't know if you have. So, my grandmother's house had whatever leftover toys from my mother and her siblings' childhood that just hadn't been thrown out for whatever reason because grandkids exist. And one of the toys down there was a full-sized animal puppet. It was an incredible little piece. Apparently my mother actually had a Fozzie Bear puppet who's hat she violently ripped off because she wanted to be able to turn the hat on and off but didn't realize that they hadn't actually made it removable oh no but the animal puppet was in very very good condition and i just i don't know what happened to him presumably when my grandmother left that house it just got sold off or given to the family that moved in but it was a really nice thing and an early part of my childhood was being attached to this because when you go to your grandmother's house you're separated from all of the things you actually care about and given like random scraps And I was very attached to this animal puppet, and I'm 
it reminded me walking through those halls with some of the other merchandise stuff that was shown off. Like, this is a thing that lots of people had in their childhood, was the Muppets in some way, shape, or form. Oh, yes, the nightclub. Cyclia. So this was one of the most surprising and most cool elements of the exhibit, was that apparently... In the 60s, at some point... Or 70s? 60s or 70s. I don't remember exactly when. At some point, Jim Henson wanted to create a nightclub that was based around, like, early projection mapping technology, where it was going to be a basically a big dome where all of the walls were, like, put on all of the walls were these asymmetric angled segments that would have, like video scenes projected over them. It was supposed to be like an immersive cinema experience. And it's just... Which is wild and cool. And there were... They had like some models and sketches that he'd done early on. And they also had a like... Just a very small segment of what this would have looked like with the projector shining onto it. And it's just really cool. Yeah, it's one of the things... That really showed how far ahead of the times Jim Henson was and how much he liked playing with new technologies. And I'm just going to be endlessly sad he never got to play with things like real projection mapping or VR. Or even just the internet. Ugh. Like, he he died in 1990, which was, like, right when the internet was coming into itself as, a like, a public utility. I'm just saying Vine wouldn't have died if we still had Jim Henson. <laughs> Uh, yeah. It's it's really a shame that that space, although it would be really weird for the guy who eventually went down to make Sesame Street to have, like, a sexy nightclub <laughs> also a thing that he made. Like, this was a... One of the things was, like, go-yo dancers with, like, stuff projected onto them. It was a club. Mm-hmm. But it would still would have been very cool in that, like, neo-futurist 60s kind of way, retro-futurist 60s. And I, I kind of wish we could see it. Like, yeah. why don't you take those plans and run with them and then brand it with Jim Henson? Because, like, that'll get people in the door out of curiosity alone. Oh, we also had several Sesame Street characters. There was Big Bird and Elmo. Uh, I think there was an Oscar somewhere. Uh, there were some early sketches for Oscar. There was an early Elmo. Uh, Prairie Dawn was there. One of the interesting things about seeing some of the uh, fluffier puppets in person is that it's clear why they have to keep making new ones, because they just mat eventually. Mm-hmm. Like you, obviously they were being well cared for and cleaned and whatever while they're being used, but there's only so long you can keep that fur in good shape before you just kind of have to make a new one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, the platform shoes. That was one of the things that I thought was the weirdest that they kept. It was platform shoes for a performer, a female performer. Yes, Fran Brill was the first woman to be, like, to officially join the team for the Muppets. Except for, obviously, Jim's wife. Well, yeah, except for Jane Henson. But, like, outside of Jane, she was the first woman that they'd hired on to be a performer. But all of the stages were built for, like, six-foot-tall men, because Jim was just incredibly tall. So they had to get her these, like, platform shoes that lifted her to the height where she could actually operate on these stages. This is a problem that continues on and is a good example of how privilege works. It's not that you get extra things. It's that everything's built to your standard and other people have to work harder. This was not anybody's, like, intention, clearly. Um, But there is, like, reasons why there are fewer female puppeteers in general. Uh, But yeah, they had her platform shoes just there. I don't even know why the Henson family had them. (laughs) They were her platform shoes, but 
I don't know, maybe she just left them on set once and they took them. Uh, they also had a number of like fan letters that were sent to the Jim Henson Company about the Muppet Show, which is adorable. I mean, they were sent to Jim Henson. Yeah, they were sent to Jim Henson. Um, uh, they had the original sign for the Muppet Show, the sign that Kermit appears like in the O every episode. <sighs> they had the original sign hung in the exhibit. And just uh, so many different notes and scripts and, like, mm-hmm. more than you can imagine. They had entire plot breakdown for the earliest versions of The Dark Crystal. It was... Uh, they had um, two poems written by Frank Oz with notes on them that he had, like, typed up to give to Jim as an idea for the show that never got used. But, like, they had them, and that's really cool. It seems like Jim really took a lot of notes. Mm-hmm. Like, and Frank, one of the other things that really shown through the like shone through the entire exhibit was the relationship between Frank Oz and Jim Henson just like every other thing you saw these two people working off of each other and how deep and respectful and like obviously important their relationship was on a working and creative but also personal level I would have to assume like these two guys worked off each other so well and it's so clear how important Frank Oz was to how all of the Jim Henson stuff worked out we talk about Jim a lot in very loving terms because he seems like he was the sweetest human but Frank Oz is very, very important. And clearly there how they worked off each other was incredibly important. He's just hard to work with without him. Mm-hmm. They also had like a small section that was entirely devoted to Miss Piggy, or they had early notes about the character from she was originally going to be a character in the Sex and Violence Muppets pilot that yeah. never got aired, where she was a lot more sexualized and a lot less kind of drag queen, which is what she ended up like. But they had, like, sketches and notes and art of Miss Piggy on CoverGirl and different magazines and stuff, which was all really cool. One of the things about the exhibit that really struck me or made me think about something about the history of the Muppets was that there was a really long history of the Muppets that was mostly Kermit and a series of characters that don't exist anymore, and it was a really long time before Fozzie and Miss Piggy were introduced. Well, yeah, because Kermit was around ever since Sam and Friends. Yeah, some version of Kermit has been around forever, basically. And basically none of the characters from Sam and Friends made it into The Muppet Show. So it's just Kermit alone, and the first person who comes after Kermit that is recognizable is Ralph, who yeah. had a car- uh, who had recurring segments on uh, the Jimmy Dean show. And then I guess there were some other minor ones who are recognizable from the Land of Gorch and stuff. Oh yeah, they had one original puppet from the Land of Gorch in the entryway with all of the various smaller puppets, which was really cool because, I mean, we've never seen the Land of Gorch, but that's like the first foray that Jim and company did into making fantasy, which became a really important thing later on with like the Fraggle Rock series and the Dark Crystal. There is a somewhat consistency in the tone of fantasy that Jim Henson seems to gravitate towards, which is kind of dark. Uh, Fraggle Rock is like the exception because it's for like five-year-olds. But there's this kind of gray swamp aesthetic that he really goes back to in Land of Gorge and The Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. Like, he preferred fantasy that was a little grimier, and I like that. It's how I prefer my fantasy as well. I mean, overall, I want to just give props to the Museum of the Moving Image because 
while this Jim Henson exhibit was obviously really special to us in particular, all of the rest of the museum is also really dope. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a, just a cool place. It's just a very cool museum. They had a bunch of neat stuff, like um, they had the original Chewbacca headpiece from the original Star Wars, and they had like a, a miniature of the side of the pyramid from Blade Runner. Like the miniature. Like, yeah, like the one used in the movie. Like they just have a, a ton of really cool like pieces from not just movies, but also TV and like some video game stuff. They had some early arcade cabinet pieces there. And they just have a really good breakdown of like how the cinematic process works and the history of it. And we're a little more familiar with that because we're film people and we have looked into it before. But I, this would be a fantastic thing to take like anybody who's just kind of interested in film to like throw them in it's a mm -hmm. really wonderful experience and yeah this jim henson exhibit was one of the coolest exhibitions i've ever seen in my entire life and i don't know if i'll ever see another thing in a museum quite as compelling to me my mother said when we talked about it on the phone afterwards that she would have been just as excited to see a real muppet as any celebrity and i felt like i would probably be mm -hmm. more excited seeing the real Miss Piggy than most celebrities. And... Oh, they also had some original concept art by Brian Froud there for The Dark Crystal, which is amazing. Oh, and the uh, the busts that we mentioned earlier from the new Dark Crystal series were handmade by um, Toby Froud? Uh, yeah. Which, <laughs> Toby Froud and Brian Froud and Wendy Froud just do The Dark Crystal, and we'll talk about that more on the Age of Resistance podcast, but it was, their fingerprints were over that exhibit almost as much as the Jim Henson fingerprints, honestly. Mm-hmm. We really loved it. It was so cool. Um, yeah, I recommend it to anybody who is remotely close to New York City. We can, uh, maybe we'll post the pictures somewhere on our Twitter for you to see. Uh, I'll see if I can figure out how to post pictures in, like, episode notes. So if you go to our, like, Podbean site, you might be able to find them there. But I'm not sure exactly how that works Either yet. Either that or it'll be on our Twitter. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else? Oh, we also ended up buying the entire original soundtrack from the gift store for the oh, Dark Crystal. yes. It's like a limited press of 500 that we got because we just could not resist. It's got purple. purple and it's got vinyl. a like 24-page uh, photo book of like behind-the-scenes pictures and concept art, which is so neat. <gasps> Anyways, we're, we've become very <laughs> obsessed with Dark Crystal in specific in the last little while, but uh, we will move on to straight Muppet stuff again in the future. Oh, worth noting, the Celadon we saw was in her full Skeksis outfit, so that was pretty dope. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Oh, they also had a fizz gig. Yes. A full fizz gig puppet, which is very cool. Posed with his mouth open. Mouths. <laughs> mouth. Yeah, I think we've pretty much covered everything that we saw. Um, but yeah, like, it was really cool. It's kind of an overwhelming and immensely emotional experience. And if you have the opportunity to get down to Queens and go to the museum, I highly recommend it. Uh, yeah, we really loved it. Uh, I'm sorry if this episode is, like, super rambly, but it's just kind of about a rambly experience. So use it as your audio guide through a thing you'll never see if you don't get to do it. Thank you for joining us. This has been The Rainbow Connection. A random mini side episode production. It's a special episode on the Jim Henson exhibition. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I'm Mackenzie Easton. I am Nathan Bertram. And we super did not find the rainbow connection on this one, but we got really, really close to a Kermit puppet, and that counts. Yep.
Oh, we have Twitter and stuff. Oh, yes. I'm on Twitter, the the, the website, at Bert Nerd Tram. I'm also on that website, at Kenzie Phoenix, because I have a Phoenix problem. And this show, The Rainbow Connection, is also on the Twitter, at Muppets, Muppets Pod. Pod. Yeah, Muppets Pod, and on Twitter.com. All right. Bye. This has been an episode. <laughs> we'll see you later. We'll do a better one next time.